1: So we made ByHeart a better formula for formula. Learn more at Byheart.com.
2: Hello, everybody. Welcome to Dan Snow's History. I've got an interesting podcast for you today. I think in years to come, when people look back on this period of human history, they will look at a globally hegemonic power, the United States of America. A power that's put the robot on Mars, a country with the largest and most productive economy in history – of mankind, a country capable of wielding military force an order of magnitude greater than any previous imperial power the world's ever known, an arsenal of nuclear warheads directly controlled by one individual that can end life on earth as we know it. And people in a few years' time will look back and they will wonder how it came to be that supreme executive power in this country was given to Donald J. Trump. Whatever your views on Donald Trump, you'll you'll admit that he is unorthodox. Uh, He's breaking every rule and norm that has bound previous presidents. And if nothing else, his method of communication using social media is extraordinary. Unprecedented. So... On the podcast today, I've got two Pulitzer Prize winning journalists. I've got Phil Rucker and Carol Linick, both uh, Pulitzer Prize winners, both at the Washington Post. They've written a new book. There are more revelations about what's been going on inside the Trump White House. This is recent history, everybody, but it's so fascinating. I want to ask them uh, about their revelations, but I also want to ask them, you know, for, for all of you history geeks out there, how can we trust what they're writing? there's a a great tradition in US journalism of using unnamed sources. This provides historians with a problem because we like citations, we like to know where things come from. So we had a bit of chat about that as well. So please enjoy this podcast. Uh, Don't forget, you can uh, go to historyhit.tv, the digital history channel. It's like Netflix for history. You pay a small subscription and you get Netflix for history. For true history fans, we're, we're building it. It's getting better all the time. It's really, really exciting. So please uh, please join us. If you use the code POD6, exclusive to listeners of this podcast, POD6, P O D 6, you get six weeks for free. Check it out. If you don't like it, don't subscribe. But we'd love you to come and check it out. So uh, have a listen to the podcast, then please head over to historyhit.tv and sign up. It's uh, really exciting what we've got going on there. Thank you for all your support. I feel the hand of
0: history upon our shoulders. All this tradition of ours, our school history, our songs, this part of the history of our country, all were gone and finished and liquidated.
3: One child, one teacher, one book and one pen can change the world.
2: Guys, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm sure you're incredibly busy, both with the book, but also your day job. How are things in D.C. at the moment?
4: Dan, they're pretty hectic. Uh, you know, the president's impeachment trial uh, is getting going in the Senate and uh, and that is consuming his attention as he's, you know, trying to scramble to survive here. But, but we're in the throes of a real political moment and a historic moment uh, in Washington.
2: And volume two of your book is going to be perhaps even more explosive than volume one, guys.
3: <laughs> There's a lot of uh, interesting history being made today and in the next few weeks. But We are mostly focused on the book we just finished. (laughs) Uh, Could you both just uh,
2: talk to me a little bit about what it has been like being uh, senior experienced reporters in Washington during the Trump presidency? We hear a lot about norms, about things being different. How different are they, do you think, in your experience from, from, uh, from previous presidential administrations?
4: Well, Dan, I covered the Obama White House, and that was so similar to what uh, I understand most White Houses have been like. And, and the reporting um, sort of followed a pattern to some degree. But the Trump story has been entirely new. Uh, as you know, it, it's almost dizzying day by day and hour by hour. There's a new crisis, a new investigation, a new uh holy crap moment uh, that we're chronicling here at the Washington Post. And what Carol and I tried to do with this book is, is really hit the pause button and, and look back at what has been an extraordinary three years in Washington with with really monumental change to our government to our country to the institutions that a lot of Americans hold dear and to assess the consequences we did a ton of extensive rigorous reporting with people who've worked uh, very closely with the president with president Trump uh, to document what has happened in in this country and in Washington during these 3 years
2: Yeah Carol can I can I ask you cuz in the US there's this extraordinary tradition of this you know, wonderful political journalism, uh, th- uh, and and we, we recognise it. We've and I'm such a fan of of books like The Game Changer from the uh, uh, d- detailing the Obama that rise to power. But but it's a particular style. You you, uh, you you're not able to say who your sources are. But but we have to just we the public just believe that you guys are legit. Like why 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 should we? You're, you're putting stuff that is incendiary in these pages. What, what, how, what, what can you tell the audience other than saying, well, Rex Tillerson told me? How, how can you reassure us that it is true?
3: So, Dan, the only thing I can tell you is that Phil and I have been reporters for decades. We have reputations at stake. We have a rigor and a protocol and a standard. And I would like to say something about the sourcing You know, in our daily reporting, Phil and I reveal a lot in The Washington Post's pages. Much of what you know about inside the Trump White House comes from us and our colleagues and some of our competitors. But in the book, we had sources who were very reluctant to talk at the time that these events were unfolding. One reason was they saw the president belittling, berating, and, and basically harassing people who questioned his intelligence or his decision-making. And then we had people who, honestly, as patriots, felt strongly that you don't criticize a sitting president. They came forward, broke their silence, talked with us for the first time about some of these events because they thought it was important to tell for history and were indebted to them.
2: Uh, the the, sto- uh, the stories, um, uh, the, there's the ones that are making news, rightly so, that you guys are breaking new stories. For example, President Trump didn't seem to know what had happened at Pearl Harbor, for example, um, uh, uh, do you think that's has, are those are the are those the things people are picking up on about this book, or or is it as you say the kind of general impression given, um, stepping back a bit and just looking at the whole presidency? <laughs>
4: You know, Dan, I think there are a couple takeaways from this book. Uh, Certainly there are a lot of new, uh, scoopy stories, some of which have come out in the press, some of which are still in the book and, and, uh, have, have not been discovered yet, uh, but that add new context and, and color and information about this administration, about this president, uh, moments and episodes and and dialogue and so forth. But the other takeaway is thematic and contextual. And and one of the things we did with this book, and and, and it's really a collection of scenes from the very first uh, day after the election, when Trump's assembling his government all the way up to the eve of impeachment, uh, we looked for patterns and we tried to detect uh what what is different what does all of the chaos that we've been chronicling for 3 years add up to and what are the consequences in America
2: uh, you you mentioned Trump assembling his government what's very striking about your book is it appears that his his daughter was was foremost in assembling the government i mean that's the just on page 1 it that there's a mind-blowing description of of how Flynn was given a, a top job without any vetting, without any of the procedures that the, and the practice that would have been gone through as standard in the previous administration.
3: You know, Dan, Phil and I are so glad you noticed that because one of the things we wanted to share with readers from our reporting with many, many people who were there basically at the ground floor of the Trump presidency in setting up, you know, what would be the transition and what would become the West Wing, those people were sort of shocked at the lack of care in deciding who should have some of the most important jobs and make some of the life and death decisions that would protect our country. And, you know, General Flynn's selection is emblematic of that. He had a a fairly um, mixed record as a general. President Obama had basically fired him because of concerns about his temperament. There had been numerous investigations of his interactions with foreign officials, and yet he gets one of the most important jobs in the White House. And that sort of set the stage for what would happen. There were a lot of novices, there was not very much vetting, and these are the people giving the president the advice, again, to keep our country safe.
2: It's um, It's been interesting over the last few years, uh, uh, there's, a, there's a sense... From people who are paying close attention that the Trump White House has kind of been pretty chaotic and he is uh, was unprepared for the role um, at best, reading your book uh, compiled from insiders, it actually looks like the rest of the world we, we were behind the curve like it 's crazier than we even thought <laughs>
4: well, well, Dan, you mentioned the President being unprepared for the job, and I think everybody who 's worked for him would agree on that point. But there was an effort early on in the administration to help school him, to tutor him, to get him up to speed, to make him sort of understand uh, the world. And one of the most explosive scenes in our book is a is a meeting that took place in the tank, which is a sacred sanctum conference room inside the Pentagon, uh, where the president's war cabinet tried to school him on on our military deployments all around the world, and he just could not tolerate that session. He didn't like the schoolhouse vibe. Uh, and he lashed out at them. He called them a bunch of dopes and babies. He said, I would never go to war with you people. And it was an emotionally scarring moment uh, for those who work in our military, who, for those who worked in this administration. And, uh, you know, it really became an inflection point for this presidency, because after that point, Trump rejected a lot of advice and really started making decisions on his own. And it became a presidency of one.
2: Is, I mean this is not your fault, but you can understand there's a huge frustration from the rest of the world and I'm sure from US citizens in particular that, that all these people are like standing up and telling you guys um, off you know it, it quietly in in hidden places about the reality of the Trump administration uh, but why don't if they if they want to do something about it, why don't they stand up and, and, and do it in public? Like why don't these people who who work with Trump initially to try and temper some of his excesses? and who failed and were fired and and humiliated, why why don't they come out and speak in public?
3: It's a great question, Dan, and we can't uh, go to the heart of the motivations of some of the people that could speak up about what they've witnessed. We can tell you a few things about our sources. Again, one of them uh, that I'm thinking of said very plainly, I'm never going to criticize a sitting president. That's not what I do. That's not how I'm trained. But think about the larger picture here of what we have learned and what you have seen even across the pond, which is, this is a president with an extremely abusive management style. His power of the megaphone, of tweeting at people, he has deployed to berate, belittle, uh, and, and chase a lot of people around who question him. And some of the sources we spoke to said they're fearful of that kind of retaliation from basically the most powerful person in the country.
2: Wow, um, that is. Uh, I, I remember that. I remember Rod Rosenstein there was reporting about, about Rod Rosenstein. Uh, who, who he was saying he, just, he didn't. He didn't want to be subjected to the tweets. Like that was the thing he was trying to avoid.
4: <laughs> That's right.
2: It's terrifying. Um, you know, it's important that we don't just think of people that we disagree with. That we they're, they're not just idiots, right? So what you identify. You identify Trumpism in, in this book. You identify a kind of coherent thread. Can you t- talk to the audience a little bit more about that?
4: Yeah, so, uh, you know, Dan, there are a couple ways you can think about Trumpism. The the first would be the sort of ideological strain and, and the power of this populist movement that he created in 2016. He cast himself as the champion for working class people and, and he made it all in his own self-image. We, we opened the book, actually, uh, on the floor of the Republican National Convention when Trump, uh, the celebrity mogul, the real estate guy, uh, becomes the most unlikely presidential nominee for a major party, but he declares, I alone can fix it. Uh, he was so focused on his own self-image, on his own uh, personal brand, and he built an entire political movement around that, and that has propelled him through all of these crises, through the Mueller investigation, a- and made him a, a really potent uh, threat to become re-elected uh, this fall in November, perhaps.
5: Hi, I'm Matt Lewis, historian and host of a new chapter of the Echoes of History podcast. If you're an Assassin's Creed fan, and like me, want to be prepared for the launch of Assassin's Creed Shadows later this year, join us on Echoes of History as we head to feudal Japan to explore the real-life history that inspired the latest game from this legendary franchise. Learn about Yasuke, the African warrior who entered the trusted circle of Japan's most powerful warlord. Hear accounts of cultures colliding when Portuguese missionaries landed on Japanese shores and followed Japan's journey through years of division and bitter warfare to unification at the dawn of the modern era. Make sure you catch every episode by following Echoes of History, a Ubisoft podcast brought to you by History Hit, wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more, and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus,
2: This is, you know, I'm not expecting answers from you guys. These are the biggest questions of our time. But what is it that has changed? Is it technology? Is it, is it people? Is it partisanship? Is it economy? What is it that has changed that means that this person is able to get away with um, gaffes and and actual, you know, just extraordinary outbursts that, that a previous generation would not have been able to do? What What, what, is, what is different about Trump and, and the area in which we live?
3: Dan, I think it's important, um, though we have a lot of people in our book who are very critical of President Trump, I think it's important to give him credit for the master of the megaphone that he is. He has been able to um, convince a lot of supporters, appropriately so, I think, that he's a fighter for them. He's the guy who's first going to say, um, you know, I'm standing up for you. I'm looking out for you. You've been forgotten by the elites on the two coasts by the super educated who look down at you through their nose. He's been able to tell those people I'm your champion and they believe him and I understand why. Uh, a lot of people in this country feel left behind and they do feel looked down upon. And And Donald Trump is is magnifying their concerns and at the same time dividing the country ever more with the way he fights for them.
4: And Dan, if I could just add one one um example of what's changed in our politics and, and certainly in, in the media and the way the public have reacted to it. Um I've covered politics at the Washington Post for about a decade and I was our reporter on the Mitt Romney campaign in twenty twelve and I traveled with him to London right on the eve of the London Olympics, and you, you and your listeners might recall that he did an interview, a television interview, where he questioned whether London was prepared for the security threat at the Olympics, which uh, in in today's environment would seem like a total nothing burger, but was a major global headline gaffe. I think the tabloids in London called him Mitt the Twit. Uh, the, the Then Mayor Boris Johnson had that massive rally in Hyde Park, Uh, saying, are you ready for the Olympics? And, and London, Londoners roared. And so, you know, the, the, the way that politicians in the past got so dinged for these gaffes and, and it really became destructive for their campaigns. Trump is like Teflon. He says stuff every hour of every day of every month. Uh, that offends people, that horrifies people, and yet he doesn't lose his supporters. And, and that's really, frankly, to his credit, his mastery at branding and ability to kind of get himself back up, have no shame and fight back.
2: Is it also about the the, the news environment, the, the, the ability to live in these echo chambers that we, you know, our are, are Trump, fan, Trump fans, Trump voters, are they insulated from the work that you guys do? Like, is it frustrating in your newsroom? If you're breaking stories that, 25 years ago, would have been on the Menil News Hour, would have been watched by 25 million people and would have just been the end of the game. Whereas now, it, it, do you feel that you're able to reach those people?
3: Dan, we don't have an agenda as reporters. And as I like to say uh, often, our executive editor, Marty Barron says we're not at war with this White House. We're at work. We share our work and People will make of it what they will. Uh, Journalists have always been the people who provide information upon which, you know, the citizens can make decisions. I don't find it frustrating. I find uh, our reporting to be uh, professionally really satisfying, invigorating. And honestly, Phil and I felt so strongly that this was becoming dizzying. All of the hour-by-hour crises, scandals, investigations, events, we wanted to make sense of it for ourselves, make sense of it for readers. What's really going on behind the scenes and what does it mean? Uh, we hope this book will, will reach people in blue and red states and that they will take away a bigger picture of what this president is after and what motivates him. So, so what
2: do you think does motivate him? You know,
4: the truth is we don't know what's in his head, of course. Uh, And I don't think anybody other than Donald Trump can say what truly motivates him. But we can tell you what uh, all of these, you know, dozens of people who work very closely with him told us. And they say he's motivated by self-image, by his survival instincts, by... His narcissism, uh, some have, have phrased it that way. And, and we describe in the book, uh, that, that Trump's North Star is the perpetuation of his own power. Um, that there's this sort of vainglorious, uh, pursuit to, to stay in command, to stay in control. It's one of the reasons why he, he ground down all of his guardrails and, and pushed away some of his more seasoned advisors. It's one of the reasons, frankly, why um, he was able to muscle through the Mueller investigation and fight back at every turn to defend himself and, and to try to survive politically. Uh, he is so driven by uh, keeping hold of his own power and, and by his own brand and, and how he presents himself, how how his image appears to the public.
3: And Dan, if I could add one thing to that, we describe because of the amazing sources who agreed to talk with us, we describe a presidency in which it's a den of dysfunction. And the president's decision-making, the thing that frightened and disturbed them the most, was that he was often thinking, how does this work for me, rather than how is this best for the country? And over and over again, they would show us moments when how he would survive the political drama of the moment was paramount in his mind not necessarily what's good for uh the country writ large or even the country in this very um moment of crisis
2: i've got to, i've got to ask and, and this is again is this is outside the book and and uh and i can understand if you can't answer this as a journalist but you, you say the perpetuation of his own power this is a man who as you point out in the book has actually we you know we forget he has refused to accept the vote count in the 2016 election, right? He has never said he has never accepted that he was actually defeating the popular vote, right? He said there were legal votes. Do you, in the reporting you've done, uh, and we're getting close to the election of 2020 now. Do, do you have a, do you have concerns uh, that he will that something there will be a major constitutional crisis? He will refuse to leave office in the event of him losing election. He will refuse to accept the uh, the result of an election.
4: Well, Dan, certainly there are, are some in Washington who who have that concern. That's not something Carol and I think about, and it's not something we as journalists uh, would be concerned about. Um, I can tell you back during the 2016 campaign, Trump and his rhetoric on the campaign trail in those closing days seemed to be laying the groundwork for um, for contesting the election results were he to lose to Hillary Clinton. He, of course, ended up winning. Um, but there was a very real uh, fear within the Democratic Party in 2016 that if he fell short in the Electoral College total, that he would refuse to concede and that there could be a crisis. And, and you know, I I expect that there will be some of that conversation again as we get closer to November of 2020. But, you know, that's really not something Carol and I Uh, have any expertise to be able to predict or or feel any advocacy or concern over.
2: Totally, totally. I totally understand. Um,
4: Well, guys, thank you so much indeed for talking to me. Uh, The book is called... A Very Stable Genius, uh, Donald J. Trump's Testing of America.
2: Well, thank you very much indeed. He's testing, he's not just testing America, he's testing the rest of the world. Let me tell you over here from the other side of the pond as well. Um, thank you very much, guys. It is an outstanding book and very good luck with it. Thank you.
0: I feel we have the history on our shoulders. All this tradition of ours, our school history, our songs, this part of the history of our country, all were gone and finished and liquidated.
3: One child, one teacher, one book. Can
2: change the world. He tells us what is possible, not just in the pages
4: of history books, but in our own lives as well. I have faith
2: in you. Hope you enjoyed the podcast, everyone. Just massive favor to ask if you could go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, give it a rating, five stars, obviously, uh, and then leave a glowing review. That'd be great.
5: elevate your style without the elevated price tag with quince go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns
1: why don't more infant formula companies use organic grass-fed whole milk instead of skim why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made ByHeart a better formula for formula. Learn more at ByHeart.com.
2: Thank you for listening to this episode of Dan Snow's History. Please follow this show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and you'll be doing us a big favor. Don't forget, you can also listen to all of these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of of TV documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com/subscribe as a special gift you can also get your first 3 months for just 1 pound a month when you use code dan
3: snow at checkout